welcome to Transforming Faith, where we talk frankly about what needs to change in us, what needs to change in the church, and what needs to change in the world, even as we follow and worship a God who doesn't change. I am Ed Black, one of the hosts of Transforming Faith. In the past few weeks, we've seen killings in Buffalo, New York, the murder of four teens in Newberry, and the elementary school shooting in Texas. How are we, who claim Christ as Lord and who seek to be transformed in Christ, supposed to feel, to think, and to react to such violence and evil? What should transformed Christians do? I'm joined this morning by some of Forest Lake Presbyterian Church's staff members, including Ellen Skidmore, Jody Beckham, and Bill Wanamaker. Welcome, y'all. Morning. Morning. Good morning. Glad we are doing this. Yesterday, Richland School District 1 Superintendent Craig Witherspoon sent an email to all who are associated with the school district reminding everyone that the district is committed to safety. And then he closed his email with, as we close out the last days of the 2021-2022 school year, please keep the people of Texas in your thoughts and prayers. Certainly prayer is needed here, but perhaps more steps are needed. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would agree. Our, our thoughts and prayers are critical, but if all we offer is thoughts and prayers, and as, if, if as Christians all we do is say thoughts and prayers, then we belie the gospel that we say we believe. The violence in this last week is stunning. And uh, as you said, Ed, so it's, we were just talking about this, the Buffalo shooting, 10, May 14, 10 African-American shoppers, 13 people shot. The the murders live streamed. In May 22nd, a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 19-year-old all killed within a block of each other. And then May 24th, we think 19 children, two teachers at least, carried out by an 18-year-old gunman who also shot and killed his grandmother before the mass shooting. So the, the level of grief and trauma and loss and anger is overwhelming. And I think we've all heard from people, I have heard from members of this church, crying, grieving, trying to figure out how to respond. And so we, as a staff, came together and thought, we need to talk about what can we do when the trauma is so great. Well, in thoughts and prayers, I'm sure those words were used after Columbine, which happened 23 years ago, after Sandy Hook, which happened 10 years ago. At some point, that phrase requires more than words. I almost think we're at the point where we should not say that until we're ready to do something else. What came to my mind first, as I've heard initially from people in, the, in our congregation, is that perhaps the first thing we need to do is to be present to ourselves and to be present to God, to ground ourselves and to regulate ourselves, acknowledge our own pain, our own grief, our own trauma. Now, my trauma is nothing like the families of the Buffalo, those who were murdered in Buffalo, nothing 
like the Newberry parents, nothing like the Texas parents, but watching the news brings me to tears. And so there is trauma and there is grief and pain and grief and trauma makes us tired, sometimes irritable, sometimes depressed, sometimes overwhelmed. And all of those are signs that we need to ground ourselves to sit with God in prayer and scripture, rest, focus on what's beautiful. I'm reminded of that passage from Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Whatever's true, whatever's good, think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. We can't react if we are still angry and uh, crying in a way that's redeemable. Hurt people hurt people. And so as we're angry and grieving, if we start flailing around, then we're more likely to cause more hurt. Our hurt has to be grounded in God so that God can redeem it before we can do anything. It it can so often feel overwhelming and I can feel helpless, you know, just turning on the news, just uh, not just this story, but sometimes it seems like all the stories in the news are just one negative thing right after another. And it can feel like I'm just going to turn it off. I'm just going to look away. You know, I'm not going to watch the news anymore. Um, That's really easy for me to do. I, I feel really shallow saying that, but it's really easy to just look away. I don't think you're alone in that. And, and I think that there's some self-protectiveness in that. That's, that's not necessarily bad to limit your exposure to trauma. If that's the only response, though, then that leads to inactivity and indifference, which is the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. So protection of yourself is not bad. Anger is not bad. Anger in this case is, a, is I think, an appropriate response. But when we allow ourselves to be content with those, then that's falls short of the gospel to which we're called, I think. In John's gospel, uh, just before the cross, Jesus says to the crowd, walk while you have the light so that the darkness may not overtake you. And Jody, to correspond with what you were saying, and Ellen, to correspond with what you were saying, it does, though, feel like darkness is creeping in at a rapid pace. And so the question is, how do we respond? And, and I think always, always, in, especially in the darkness, you think about the prophet. It, God is present, but when you're suddenly plunged into darkness, you can do two things. You can flail around and fall and try and find the light switch and hurt yourself or hurt somebody else, or you can sit quietly for a moment until your eyes adjust to the darkness. And I would say that God is present even in that darkness, but we have to be willing to attend. We have to be willing to be present to our own pain, to the pain of these other people. Mm-hmm. So we begin to see how it is that, what it is we can do. And I think there are things we can do. And Bill, you have a tough role right now in the fact that you are responsible for walking alongside our youth here at the church middle school and high school students and they're seeing the news they're on social media they see what happened you're a parent as well it's it has to be hard because you're dealing with your own anxiety as a parent or watching the news and seeing it and then now you have children that you work with you see every week who have seen the same thing yes there Right now it is time for conversations, and sometimes those conversations are hard conversations. 
um, I've started conversations with uh, the youth of this church, but also with my own uh, family, my own two girls, um, about what happened. And if you see things through the eyes of the child, they look up to adults and see what adults are doing about this. And it seems to pointing fingers. It's people that are set in one side and not the other and not coming together to find some type of solution or begin to talk um, to find some type of solution. And that's what they don't understand of adults in power and position just to come together and begin their hard conversations on what are next steps to take. I think it goes back to those, those feelings of helplessness that we all can have, especially with our children. It can feel like there's nothing I can do and this is so horrible and look at those families and, you know, they just feel powerless to do anything. And then I would say that is the call of, uh, if we believe in a God who rules the universe and whose purpose is redemption, then we have got to move from what can I do to what can I do? And I think that's the move. Not, it, it is, I think it's time for us to exercise some self-control. I feel angry that there has not been any reasonable gun control reform enacted on a federal level since the Sandy Hook Elementary. I feel angry about that, but it doesn't help me to rail against officials over whom I have no control. I have no control over those in Texas in political office. I have no influence over, um, you know, the, the United States Congress. But what can I do? Hopeless um, railing is only a pressure valve, and it doesn't transform us. It allows us to take the pressure off, but it doesn't change us or anything else. And so that continued railing and, and just the pressure valve and then stopping with that, I think, is a problem for us. I saw Steve Kerr two days ago. Uh, Steve Kerr is the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, uh, likely favorite to win the NBA championship this year. And before his pre- it's playoffs right now in the NBA, and before his press conference, he said, I'm not going to talk basketball. I'm going to talk now about the most recent shooting that happened in Texas. And then he mentioned one that had happened in Oakland as well. And it was a, a short speech press, putting pressure on elected officials to do something. And then he got up and walked out and he said, actually, I'm not going to talk about basketball. And he's a big name in the NBA. Obviously, he's a head coach, but he's won numerous championships as a coach and a player. And, and Ellen, I, when I hear you're saying that, it, you know, it, it puts a little pressure on it, but you, you question whether or not that's an effective strategy. I think in that sense, took somewhat of an opposite approach, thinking like Steve Kerr, who connects with a different population than maybe we connect with on every, on every week, is saying something. Maybe that's going to be the impetus. Maybe somebody will listen to that particular person because it's not often you see a public figure in that arena taking that kind of a stand. But did he take a stand? He said this is what should happen. Did he ask for some specific things? What he, did he 
mentioned that there's been nothing done in U.S. Congress since 2012 with the Sandy Hook mentioned that it had been filibustered. Right. So I would say um, it's not that we don't mention it, but maybe the time has come for us to resist as Christians just putting out publicly our thoughts and prayers are with unless we are willing to be inconvenienced and to serve with God to make those prayers reality. That's all I'm saying. It's, it is not we use the railing and the thoughts and prayers as a, as a pressure relief valve for us, but until it changes, we might need to hold on to some of that tension in ourselves until we are willing to be inconvenienced to work. We can't be good unless we are actively engaged to work against evil, to be inactive in the face of such senseless death and destruction. And, and I understand the, the legal process will determine whether or not the Buffalo shooting was racially motivated. If the news reports are to be relieved that, that, that believe that is definitely a possibility. So until we're willing to work against death, destruction, racism, until we're willing to work against those, we collude to be silent in the face of such, to be inactive in the face of such, is not to be good. It is to collude with evil. And at the very least, we need to pick some sort of activism. I think how you do that is highly personal. You know, I was trying to think, what, what kind of activism? So I would say the place that's maybe the easiest to start is to listen to people who differ with you, to go outside your information bubble and to listen to people whose experiences are different. And I was reflecting, thinking about the more justice experience and and in conversations with some of my African-American friends. Their view of the world is really different than mine. I did not coach my girls to be very afraid, to be anxious, and to be compliant, not to look anybody in the eye when the police stop them. I am not afraid when a police officer I'm ashamed, but I'm not afraid. But they are afraid. I mean, African-American parents tell me, they tell their children, you do not put your foot in anybody's yard that you don't know. You keep on the sidewalk. You lose a ball, you leave it. That's not a conversation I ever had to have. So I need to hear those voices. And that doesn't mean it's my experience. But I have to listen to the voices of the parents who've lost these children. I have to listen to experiences. That's activism of a sort. And then I, then I pick the people who do I have influence over. I have influence over myself, whether or not I choose to speak in hurtful terms. I have influence over my elected officials in some case. I have, um, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but I I think this church has two very practical, long-term, persistent ways to take active stances. And and one of those is our participation in more justice. Midlands Organized Response for Equity and Justice, the nonprofit that's faith-based, interfaith, that allows, that's one of the places where I hear stories that I don't know. And it's one of the places where, as uncomfortable as it can be, we ask for small, specific steps from our elected leadership. There's tension there, 
and nobody wants to get into the tension, but that's the move I think that's got to happen. It's got to move from me just railing and being angry and pressure relieving by shouting and saying I'm so angry about this to being willing to be uncomfortable enough myself to enact some change. But more justice and our partnership with Serve and Connect, this compass site work is going to require us to know and to listen to people who are not like us, to hear other stories. We have to persist and lean in, not out when we're uncomfortable, I think. And, and just to add to that, one of the issues that more justice is working towards is gun violence in our own community, in our own Columbia community. They've been working toward that for years, and that work continues. It's not easy work. It's, there's not a simple solution, but they're dedicated to committing to that work and finding a solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been uncomfortable talking with our elected officials who, who do know a lot and who are experts, but who are resisting outside evaluation. And until we're willing to stand in that uncomfortableness, I think we need to stop offering public thoughts and prayers. There is an underlying tension that exists in the society that I think is strengthening every day. And and tension may be a bad word, but it could be anger. And what's disappointing is this country has so much going for it, and yet we seem to be the angriest. And I wrestle with that. I don't want my children growing up seeing the anger that exists in society because it's clear that every one of these shootings, that was the the force behind it, was anger. And so, I'm sorry, Jody, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just just wondering, is that what it is? Is is it anger that... That's how you see it. I do. I see this as angry. It's, it's, it's anger. Mm-hmm. And to continue on that point, um, we did mention um, gun regulation, which I think is a very important part of this solution, but it's only a part. I think we need to look back almost to America's soul and to see when people do get angry, why is that the release mm-hmm. of that anger? Um, you know, I remember back in the eighties that, um, me and my friends used to bring guns to school so we can go deer hunting after school. You left them in your car. Yeah, we did leave them. We did leave them in our car. Wow. The teachers knew we told the teachers we asked and they said it was fine, but there was no fear or thoughts that we were going to go and use that for anger. That nobody, we, nobody had ever conceived of that as a... Right. It was yeah. only a way that we didn't have to drive all the way home to get it. Mm-hmm. We can just go hunting on the way home. But different that is time. a... Yeah, absolutely a different, different time. time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a different time. But where did, where did that change? And that's something... It's murder is um, of any kind is... I just don't understand it. And I've seen murder up close... I'm a witness to a person that was killed by gun violence. I found a homicide victim in 1994, and it has just still is with me 
to sitting in that trial, looking at a murderer, why did he take that step to end someone's life, how easy it was for him to do so? And I think um, that's what we got to finally come up with. Why is people thinking that is a solution to your anger? And I agree with Ed, it is anger. But it's come to that point to which this is the way I release it. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we were sitting in the uh, serving kind of the compass planning, one of the compass planning sites, and one of the Richland County Sheriff deputies who serves on the community action team was sitting at our table, and he said, "When I first came out of the police academy, we used to be called all the time to settle fights. We'd be called, and we'd wade into this uh, crowd of." boys would be duking it out and we'd separate them out and we'd talk it through and then we'd figure it out he said that almost never happens anymore what happens now is we never get called to settle a fight people get mad at each other they may yell and then they retreat home they get their guns and they come back and they shoot each other there's no in between we're not called to settle fights anymore so it, you know I, I feel like it, it it's both it, yes there is this darkness in the in the soul this hate this somebody has to be made into a non-human into an other for you to be able to do such violence to another human being so maybe maybe i'm i'm weary of the the false uh polarizations that that say it's in either or it's it's both and right so it's it's not either mental health services or reasonable gun control it's time to say we got to do both. Yes, correct. I agree. I agree for sure. Perhaps the anger is symbolic of frustration, and and I and I and I'm sure that that frustration is a symptom of anger, or maybe it's the other way around. But I think there are people in this country that sadly think there is no other way to show my anger and to show my frustration than than acting on it. So how do we connect with those people or find those people? And what worries me is we start separating our children at a very early age. And so we don't have the option, or at least our children do not have the option always, of connecting with somebody or talking to somebody that is different from them. And so we spend time here talking about needing to connect with people and listening to the other side. Our children and youth who have been separated for a while now in the educational system, they don't have that option. And then they go and then end up doing something like what's happened. And and so I, I it, it seems like the, the talking to each other can happen at an older age, but we've got to find a way to talk to young people too and connect with them because the, the shooters here are young. 18, yeah, yeah. See, that's so interesting because I felt like my girls growing up in public school were always as white Anglo girls, they were always a minority. Not always in their classes, but in their schools. And all three of my children came out of the Richland School District 2 system 
with a real awareness that the world was not like them and that there were many children in the world who whose parents either couldn't or wouldn't make sure they had breakfast or clothes that fit. Um, they got a really good education in cultural differences that I'm, I am grateful for. I understand that there are a lot of people for whom that's very scary, but it was something that we pursued and, and persisted in. We had conversations about race growing up, um, and it's hard to connect with people who are not like us, but I think it's still possible. The pandemic has made it even harder when, when for all sorts of good reasons, people have just exited. I, I'm worried that, you know, that we've retreated into our very similar little like-minded schools, but... Churches, too. Churches, too. But public schools offer us an opportunity, um, and, and where public schools resist that, um, I get why they do. It's safer for the parents, but it, in the long run, the cost is tremendous. Your girls, though, did extracurricular activities, too, because that was a decision that they made along with you and Eric, mm -hmm. that we wanted to do these extracurricular activities. I have concerns about I mean, some parents who want to limit their children's exposure to outside things, because I think the way that you do get it is through extracurricular activities, because the school system is separating students academically at a very early age. And when you look at Sundays in the pews, you know, a lot of us look like each other, and you look at in the classrooms and in the, in the schools, it is hard to see differences unless you're intentional about it or unless the parents are intentional about exposing their children to things. Yeah, and I, I do think that's where service comes in, where a parent taking a child to do the Appalachian Service Project or to uh, make a, a, a family effort to instead of maybe Key West, maybe it's something of service where we expose our children to what the real need is in the world, how people are not like. Our experience is not normative. That that's really a, a, a very practical thing that we can do. Um, and I think those two opportunities you mentioned, more justice and the Serve and Connect partnership with the Compass site, are two ways of doing just that, listening and learning about others in our community who are, who are not like us. Mm -hmm. And how can we listen and help? You know, was it Cornell West? Justice is what love looks like in public. That old quote. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I know we're about out of time. I, I think that we do come back and we've got to root ourselves in the fact that we believe in one God who created every human being in God's image and that God's intention and God's attention towards everyone is love and the purpose is redemption and that God, that our hope in God is not futile. It, it feels very dark right now, but that the redemption of the world doesn't depend on us. It, re, it depends on God and it depends on God's people joining God in the creation of that possibility for redemption. So, Paul says we need to be born of the Spirit, right. not born of the flesh. Right, 
Right. So what is the Spirit calling us to do now? I think that's key. My biggest fear is, is what's going to happen three weeks from now? Is this conversation going to continue? It needs to continue, but are we going to fall into the same pattern that in three weeks from now, are we back into the NBA championships, college world baseball, getting ready for our vacation? And then tragically another incident's like this. And that's when the conversation starts again. Uh, my prayer is the conversation continues. And, and I think it's that we have to be grounded, rooted ourselves, not exhausted, not overwhelmed, but we do have to decide to put ourselves out and to be some uncomfortable. So we show up for a serve and connect thing, even if we're tired that night. We decide that we're going to make it a family priority to go to a trash pickup in a in the neighborhood. That's one of the things we're hoping to do this summer through our Compass partnership. We determined that I, the other night we had a more justice meeting, and I thought, I do not want to go. I am so tired. I've been out every night. I don't want to go. But when I go... She's been out working every night. Yeah. Not, need to add that. Out, out. Working. Yeah, no. People think, what, yeah. well, my pastor... <laughs> I've been in meetings every night, and I don't want to go. But when I go, I know that it's the right thing. It costs me something. But until we, it has to cost us something, and it's that long-term persistence in the same direction. Obedience in the same direction. And that's what um, Will Willimon and uh, Stanley Howard says, something about uh, being to be, no, Eugene Peterson, a long obedience in the same direction, that that's what it means to be Christian. A long obedience I, in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson. Yeah, that this is not a short-term thing. And if we, it, when we, not if, when this happens again, if we haven't determined what our long-term obedience steps are going to be, then you're right, it's useless. Let's quit and do something else. This is either about a relationship with God that helps me love God, love myself, and love my neighbor, or we ought to claim that we aren't doing it. This has been Transforming Faith, the podcast produced by Forest Lake Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. If you have comments, questions for us, or suggestions, please contact us at contactusflpc.org. Until next time, we wish you God's peace.